welcome everybody episode three beers with Bori, gluten-free beers let's get at it all right so gluten-free beers kind of self-explanatory right well yes and no um but i will be taking a slightly deeper dive into them in this episode so grab something to drink whatever you want and let's get into it so gluten-free or what gluten is or why we need to know um well it's not you don't really need to know this is just more of a gee whiz type of informative uh episode i guess but it's it is pretty much self-explanatory there's certain glutens three specific ones that are found in malted barley right they are gliadin in wheat hordain or hordine in barley and secaline in rye so those three specific ones are what gluten-free or gluten-reduced products want to remove to a point um folks that suffer from celiac disease their their doctors there's specific products you can get if you keep uh below a certain threshold it's um it's like a parts per million measure right uh so but those are the three main ones now when it comes to the beer world those three malted barleys that i just spoke about wheat barley and rye those are kind of the dominant malts used in the brewing world so your wheat is what's in like vice beers in wheat beers of any kind um when it comes to the german style specific wheat beers they have to have at least 50 percent malted wheat or wheat as their ingredient as their base or uh, as a part of their malt bill to be considered or to be called a vice beer or a hefeweizen right so that's already a thing they have to have at least 50 percent even if it's 51 percent to wheat and 49 percent malted barley or like a pale malt or something or pilsner malt it still has to be at least 50 percent so um but others other uh styles don't necessarily use wheat like that they use it as a complementary malt uh wheat is used for keeping head retention or keeping the head on a beer longer right if you want that the effervescence or the aroma to stick around after the pour you want to use a little bit of wheat when you brew your beer so but a lot of styles don't use any wheat whatsoever but every single beer uses at a minimum barley or malted barley so as you can see this causes an issue with folks that have celiac disease or some form of gluten reaction so gluten-free beers or gluten-reduced beers are what's what's out there for them so that's you know the first part the second part is the fact that the barleys or malted malts the malted malts wow the malts used in the brewing industry are pretty are, are modified in a way right these are these have been advanced throughout the industry from we're talking from the 1800s to now the malted barleys that were or the barleys that were present then are nowhere near, near the same that we have now so because they are modified those particular amino acids or glutens are aren't as prevalent as they used to be so there's a small i don't know argument discussion that is it really necessary to reduce them if it's already because of the 
brewing process um it's already kind of gone so but obviously you're not going to just say oh no don't you know as a brewer or as a as an owner of a brewery you're just going to be like oh don't worry about it we we use x malts and x this and whatever there's not enough amino acids or gluten in there to cause any reaction well you're just setting yourself up for a lawsuit so they always you know it's always error on the side of caution so and then that's where you get your gluten reduced and gluten-free beers now in this episode i'm going to be actually reviewing two gluten-free 100 gluten-free beers um, my first time ever having gluten-free true gluten-free beers i have had gluten reduced beers not knowing it was gluten reduced i had uh, stone brewings delicious ipa it is a little like quintessential west coast style ipa that has that went through a process to remove the gluten's post fermentation or excuse me during fermentation so it's to the point where it's lower than the 20 parts per million that is recommended for individuals that suffer from some form of gluten reaction or disease so and that's right off of their website you can easily find it right on stone's website if you go to their beers select stone delicious ipa and it's sitting right there uh but honestly in that beer it i had no idea the first time i had it that it was a gluten reduced and it was really good i mean it was like kind of more or less any other standard stone ipa but not like their actual flagship stone ipa right it was not like that stone ipa is your quintessential 1990s west coast ipa really really dank grapefruit bitterness dry as hell pale in color slight haze due to the amount of hops and the dry hopping that they uh, use on that recipe and that's it right minimal caramel malts and your standard og hops that that have been used in ipas whereas stone delicious is slightly more modernized i guess that's using a variety of hops some of them are less than 10 years old one of them i believe is like your standards like cascade um and then it has a little bit of specialized malts like caramel just to, just a little bit just to provide a little bit of some sweetness a little bit of a balance there right and then the alcohol levels lower than their standard stone ipa but it is still a stone made ipa right and they're very well known for their ipas so that one it's quite good i would recommend it um now i don't i'm not a doctor so i'm not going to sit here and tell you like because it's 20 parts per million or lower that you're safe to drink it i'm not going to sit here and say that but if you have some form of gluten reaction or celiac disease and your doctor says if you consume something that is x parts per million or lower and this particular beer falls into that area i would recommend especially if you do like ipas um so that's the gluten reduced one that i've had but the two that i'm going to talk about right now are from brasserie glutenberg they are from montreal canada they've been around since 2006 so they're 15 years old Might as well math right yeah anyways <laughs> um yeah so they have some a very impressive not 2006 excuse me 2010 so they're 11 years old i got 2006 i don't know where i got 2006 i think it's because in 2016 they were able to 
actually hit the markets throughout the world. So I think the six threw me off. Um, so it's 2010. They are 11 years old, but they have been distributing worldwide since 2016. All right. Now that we got that sorted, they're, they're beers. So today I'm going to be talking about two specific ones. They're Belgian white and they're stout. Uh, but pretty much everything across the board is more or less made the same way other than hot varieties, yeast, and the additional ingredients used to essentially create the flavors that are not present because of the, the lack of malted barley, right? The malted barley that is traditionally used in beer, all of those malts provide different flavors and color to any beer and whatever and any style by removing them completely and substituting with ingredients that still provide some form of fermentable sugar you have to make up the color and the flavor of the malts that are removed right so glutenberg uses a variety of ingredients to make up for that um so the first one i'm going to talk about is a belgian white so Belgian white style is a very well known, it's a very, very, very old style from Belgium. Um, one of the most prevalent breweries, and I'm pretty sure most of you have heard of it or have had it, is from Hohengarten. Hohengarten White or Hohengarten Wit. Uh, absolutely, like, arguably the staple, right? That's the standard, is Hohengarten White when you make a Belgian white beer. Uh, that's. The, the Belgian one. It, it is, unfortunately, it is now owned by Anheuser-Busch InBev. So, uh, you know, on principle alone, I don't buy it, but I'm not sitting here and telling you that it's not a good beer because it's still an amazing beer. But for stateside or other breweries, Allagash White makes an amazing Belgian white. Omegon uh, from Cooperstown, New York. They make a wit. Uh, W-I-T-T-E is how they spell it. There's, oh man. You have, oh, there's a, uh, I'm drawing a blank. It's in the Northeast, of course. Anywho, it doesn't matter. Those are the two nationally distributed Belgian wits, Belgian whites that you can find just about anywhere that sells good beer. So that's what you're getting into. The, the style has a lot of um, citrus-like flavors, but it's more on the lighter ripe citrus versus the citrus bitter. So don't think like IPA, think like fresh squeezed orange juice, fresh squeezed pineapple juice, right? Uh, so, and it also has a little bit of like a, like a spice. Um, and that's because it's traditionally made with coriander. So the, the inclusion of coriander, the, it also has a curacao or orange peel, however you want to call it or decipher it. Then you have your Belgian yeast. And of course, at a minimum, like 40 to 50% wheat to some form of malt, pale malt or pilsen malt is usually what is used in there. So it's a very, very light colored beer, extremely light in color, blonde even. And it is hazy because of the, the yeast. The yeast is, it's a sediment. It is part of the actual character of the beer. It is part of the flavor. So you would, when you would pour it out of a can or a bottle, you would shake up the bottom a little bit and pour that into your finished glass, right? So a combination of the orange peel, the coriander and the yeast, it provides this citrusy, slight spicy, like pepper spice flavor. Super refreshing, very low in alcohol. We're talking 5% or lower 
somewhere between four and a half and five percent traditionally crisp like it is a quintessential lawnmower beer right so hopefully I, that paints a picture for you so now getting into what glutenberg has done in lieu of the malted barley the wheat that i just talked about so they used buckwheat millet amaranth quinoa cilantro those five ingredients are in their belgian white to mimic or to provide the flavor that you would normally get by the pills and all and and the wheat that that is present traditionally right uh, and then they still use hops they still use water they use the orange orange peel they still use coriander and they have yeast right it's just it's just the malted barley that gets removed and substituted for gluten-free ingredients um and i gotta say um this they they get they got really close this 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 glutenberg white or glutenberg blanc is it's pretty good considering there's no wheat and there's no pilsner malt or any form of malted barley anywhere to be found this this is quite good it is stupid refreshing which is you know check it is finishes dry check it does have a little bit of that like that citrusy peppery right just a touch um not not so much to where you 100 know this is a belgian white you know what i mean but it is there so check the color is there it's a beautiful blonde hazy beer it's exactly what a belgian white should be check now where do, where does it fall short well it falls short on the the yeast characteristic now this could be the fact this could be because of the other ingredients right the buckwheat and the millet I've never had, I've had beer made with some buckwheat, but I've never had beer where the majority of it is buckwheat. I've never had a beer made with millet. So I've never had a beer made with amaranth or quinoa. I've eaten quinoa, not knowing I was having it. It was kind of like a complimentary ingredient in food, but to be used in the brewing process, never. That's the first time. And then cilantro, I think I might've had a beer made with cilantro, but honestly, most of the time I have cilantro with tacos. So, but I know what to expect out of it, right? So you take all of that stuff, plus the hops, plus the yeast, plus the coriander and the orange peel. And I think what, what, where, what I'm expecting to taste that citrusy like taste is masked from the new flavors that I'm getting things that I've never had before. So I don't know what to expect. I'm not knowing that. I'm going to be getting this, this, and this instead of the citrus yeast flavor that I'm looking for. That's not to say it didn't taste good. It tasted fine. It tasted quite good actually. But when I'm, when my brain, when I think of Belgian white, I think of certain things. So when I had this Belgian white from Glutenberg, I had got most of those things, right? And the things that I didn't get is that like that yeast, citrus, fruity, flavor that I'm very, very accustomed to getting in a Belgian white. So, and that's, again, that's not necessarily a fault to them. Even if they did use a traditional Belgian white or Belgian wit yeast, I think the other ingredients just mask that flavor up either too much or naturally, you know, by just, by being 
by being buckwheat, millet, amaranth, quinoa, and cilantro. So that's why I didn't want to completely dock it because of that. So, but that's what four out of five checks, you know, it's still, it hit the mark on a lot of things. Um, it's 5%. So it's at the top of what traditionally a Belgian wit would be in alcohol content. So I, I, I think this was a great, this is a great beer. I would, uh, I bought a four pack, so I still have three more and I plan to drink them. Like they're really, they were really good. If I had to give it an actual rating scale out of five, this is a 3.75 in my book, just shy of a four, um, but still better than average. So again, if you are somebody that suffers from celiac or has a slight reaction to gluten, but isn't, doesn't full on have the disease and your doctors say, Hey, if you would like to have things that still have gluten, try to keep it under X parts per million. Well, Glutenberg, this is 100% gluten-free. And I would highly recommend this, this, this Belgian white. If you like one beer and two, like the style of Belgian white, this is definitely right up there. Um, I would, I would easily recommend it to anybody that's like, man, I can't have beer because I'm, you know, I have celiacs. Like, oh, really? You got, come check this out. You got to get some gluten. You got to get some glutenberg. So, so that's beer number one. Beer number two is their stout. Now this one, I was really excited because, you know, in my head, I know what it takes to make a stout. So knowing that there wasn't going to be any malted barley in this really had me like, all right, let's see what Glutenberg did. Let's see uh, what, what twists they did to make up for the deep, dark malt and flavor that you get from a stout. So now I'm going to read this right off of their site so you can see the hype, right? Um, how it built up for myself. All right. Quote, Glutenberg's stout is distinguished by its opaque black color, as well as by its powerful aromas of cocoa and roasted cereals robust notes of espresso coffee dark chocolate and ripe fruit conferred by the dark malt give it a pleasant length in the mouth that will not leave stout lovers indifferent so unquote so it's it it builds up it builds it up right it really does i was like oh man this is oh this is gonna be killer it's got some coffee in it they use chocolate they got some fruits in there some ripe fruits some dark fruits this is great um, I think the word dark malt, um, kind of throws it off because this doesn't have any malt in it, but I think I get what they're going for. I get what they meant. Um, so yeah. All right. So it's a 5% beer It's black. I mean, it, you can't see through it at all. And what they did use in this one, and this is where it's quite interesting. Uh, you still have your water. They used millet again. They use corn, candy, candy syrup hops of course cocoa nibs which are basically little itty bitty bits of dark chocolate um with no milk in it so this is pure 100 cocoa chocolate uh they use coffee or espresso and you have your yeast so all of that i'll quickly go over the ingredients to kind of discuss on why they chose to use what they did so the millet and the corn and the candy syrup are going to provide the ma the majority, if not all of the fermentable sugars, right? Cocoa nibs and coffee don't, cocoa doesn't really have a lot of sugar, if any, at all, naturally. Coffee obviously doesn't. So 
the millet and the corn corn does provide some fermentable sugars it is used in brewing it is an adjunct it is used in a lot of light pale lagers or and or pilsners um Coors Light uses it Bud Light I believe uses rice Bud uh Miller Light I believe uses corn uh there's a bunch of Mexican beers like I talked about in the last episode um they use rice and or corn and it's just strictly used to lighten the body but still provide some fermentable sugars so the millet is the that gluten free ingredient that is common very common in glutenberg's recipes for almost every style that they have here um which again once it's malted or mashed or, or not malted excuse me when it's mashed or cooked it's going to provide some form of fermentable sugar for the yeast to eat at and then the candy syrup candy syrup is essentially simple syrup it really is it's just sugar reduced to a liquid now for the sake of the stout i'm going to assume it was dark candy sugar so it was it was like essentially like brown sugar think caramel but more in a more liquidy whereas caramel is pretty thick right it's i mean we use it for a lot of things in the cooking world and for food but picture dark candy sugar more liquid syrupy caramel maybe two shades darker almost burnt but not actually tasting burnt so that's what they would use in order to provide remember that color that i talked about that stouts have from the traditional malted barley that's used stouts are usually made with roasted barley black patent malt um some form of caramel malts maybe not a lot but just a little bit to provide some of that caramel flavoring and also dry out the beer just a touch a pale malt usually some um european not european uh uk or Irish type malt like uh, Golden Promise, um, regular pale two row malt, or Marisader. Those are very, those are three very, very well known base malts that provide 90 ish to 95% of the fermentable sugar traditionally found in a stout. And then the other 10 to five, five to 10% is, like I said, multi multi bar, or uh, excuse me, roasted barley, black patent malt, or some form of dark, deep roasted malt that doesn't provide bitterness uh a little bit of the caramel malt usually darker in color um something like 80 to 120 on the color scale so the darker the darker the, the higher the number the darker the malt is and it also will provide a little bit of fermentable sugar not a lot but it's really mostly for a caramel light color and flavor and maybe one other specialty malt. I mean, it really depends on the brewer and what they have access to. There's um, there's malt that's out, that's made out there to taste like chocolate. It's called chocolate malt. Uh, you also have some like dehusked Carafa two and three. That's the level of darkness. There's Carafa one, two, and three. A lot of that stuff is used in stouts and in very, very dark beers. So because you're removing all of those malted barleys in a stout and a gluten-free stout, you have to make up for it somewhere. And that dark candy sugar is one way of doing it. At least that's how Glutenberg did it. The other way was the cocoa nibs and the coffee, All right? Coffee's black coffee, espresso. Obviously we know it's black in color. And cocoa, once it's tossed in, it's not only gonna provide flavor, it's once it's, if you talk, depending on in the brewing process, when you toss it in, you're either gonna provide a color because it melts, or you're just gonna provide a flavor. In this instance, I believe they used it for flavor because I get 
chocolate. I get aroma of coffee and chocolate. The chocolate isn't like eating Baker's Choice chocolate, right? For that you would find at a grocery store. It's like eating or tasting like a fine chocolate. Um, maybe a lint dark chocolate. If you find a uh, 75% or higher dark chocolate, that's essentially what the flavor I'm getting, but not as rich, of course, right? Cause it's in liquid form, but it's close. You know, they used some dark chocolate in there. So it's there. It definitely is. The coffee is definitely there, but, and, and unfortunately for this stout, that's kind of where it ends. You don't get the mouthfeel. You don't get, it does finish dry. Um, it has a slight bitter finish and that is most likely from the coffee right if you've just if you have black coffee depending on the quality of the beans it's going to be either good or it's going to be pretty rough to drink but it will almost always leave you with like a bitter back end well that's i'm getting it here so that's kind of sort of where a normal stout would go but the body is just it's thin this is very there's no presence on my on my tongue on my palate Whereas a normal true stout or a, a beer made with malted barley, that is a stout, there is presence there. There's a body there. Even at 5% alcohol, there's, you, you can have some body, right? In a stout. And I, and unfortunately, because this just doesn't have that, the additional ingredients that they chose to use to make up for it just didn't hit the mark with this one. Yeah, it's, it's. It's kind of sad. The 5%, it, it, trying to keep it at 5% as well is also kind of, it's very tricky. You have to find a balance there because if you add too much, say, let's say millet and candy syrup, right? Now you have a bunch of fermentable sugar. That means you have to increase the, the bittering side, which is going to be your hops. You also have to increase the espresso and the coffee. Now, if you increase the coffee and the, and the uh, cocoa nibs too much, then it's even more out of whack and then it's completely unpleasant because again it's missing that body it's missing that that presence in the middle of the drink or excuse me in the middle of the swallow so they had to have they had to have they had they had a fine line and if they crossed it they knew i'm pretty sure they knew it was like we we're gonna have to increase something so um the amount of hop they don't say which hops but i think the hops chosen here were were good they were complimentary uh to be considered even beer you had to have you had to have hops in it so and traditionally in a stout because there are a lot of flavors from the malted barleys that are chosen hop the the hop quantity is also higher than traditionally found in like like your standard mm, blonde beers right you're not your pale ales but like your blonde styles your lagers things like that but it isn't to a level that it's like an IPA. The hops in stouts and like porters and dark brown um, beers like ales or uh, like brown ales, the hops are just to provide the balance. If you don't have enough hops, you're gonna have a sugar bomb and it's not gonna taste very well. So that's that sugar, that's that sweet, bitter uh, balance, right? So that's where the hops come in. And for Glutenberg Stout, I think they did a fine job on providing the right amount of hops to balance the candy syrup, the corn, the cocoa nibs, right? So it's there. It's just, 
it's just it's just a little short the, the middle of that swallow is just it's just not there um putting this on a on a five point scale i would say this is a three out of five this is just average it's gonna take a little bit for me to want to finish the four pack again um but it will get done uh would i use it for cooking or could i use it for cooking possibly it's still a dark color beer it still has some elements of a dark beer that we would use in cooking and when we make chili we always use some form of dark beer it's either a stout a porter a brown ale a black lager like a negro modelo something like that we always use a dark beer so this could be one where i just save for the winter and when we start getting the cold the cold chilly nights here in california we tend to make chili because it's nice and comforting i would use this it i think it provides enough of the dark flavor for cooking but for drinking when my brain thinks of stout it's not getting all of it you know what i mean because it's missing the malted barley that would provide that piece um in the flavor so now as as a whole right now glutenberg is is it's a it's a it's a brewery i would recommend to anybody even just to try something new you don't need to be you don't need to have a celiac or have a gluten reaction to drink this i personally would try their other styles they have um they have a blonde they have an ipa they have a pale ale they have an irish red they have a session ipa they have a goza and they have a double ipa this is from a gluten-free brewery all of those are 100% gluten-free beers and they have some styles that are very popular right now in the world the goza hits the sour fans right the session ipa hits the low-cal low-carb low alcohol fat diet folks you have your irish red for all the malt heads you have blondes and the wits for the light colored light body beers and then you have your ipas two of them and a pale ale for the hop heads and then you have your one stout for the dark beer fans the true dark beer fans or the real dark beer fans excuse me they're hitting all the marks i mean they could hit it right or if they can tweak some things for let's say the stout I have yet to try the other ones, but I would 100% try the Goza and the Irish Red for sure. If they can do it right, they can really hit a market where a lot of breweries are not. Actually, very few. So most are going for, um, I'd say the easier route, which is the gluten reduced. They still make beers with your traditional ingredients, but then they go through a process, whether it's during fermentation or post fermentation, to reduce the glutens and then and get them tested so they do meet the we'll say i guess we're gonna say 20 20 parts million is the the normal the normal limit right i'm let let's say let's that's the standard so breweries will just try to brew beers at 20 parts a million or lower versus what glutenberg is doing is they're just completely taking out the gluten and now making it with alternative ingredients and i think it's great i wish them the best of luck um and i'm definitely gonna keep my eyes out for the Irish Red and the Goza. So that concludes episode three, gluten-free beers. Thank you all for, for listening. Um, stay tuned for episode four. Don't know what it'll be about, but I never know what it's about till the last week, <laughs> right before recording. So uh, expected in about two, two and a half weeks, just like usual. We are, I'm starting to get the podcast out on more platforms. So it is available now on spotify it is going to be available for google podcast it is also on uh pocket cast 
So if you're a fan of any of those, look for it. Um, you can just subscribe or follow it once you get into that, each of those platforms, and you'll get notified as soon as an episode goes live. So thank you so much for the support so far. I, I see the downloads. I see the plays. Um, whether you download it and or stream it directly from Buzzsprout or I'm, all, I'm now using Anchor FM, I see it. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. If you, I think you can leave reviews on your specific platforms. So feel free and uh, I'll check those out. If you do have questions and you want to, you know, obviously put them in the review or reach out to me directly, you can via the social medias. I have all that stuff on my Anchor and Buzzsprout main pages so again thank you so much you all stay safe and we will catch you in the next episode